0: Well we're going to continue now in our study of the Gospel of John we've been um, for those that are visiting with us, we've been in the Gospel of John for a long time and, and you're here with us for our last Sunday and uh, it's been really a blessing I tell you personally in, in my own study, because what we found is that we're in the Gospel of John and right around Easter we came to the resurrection and so then from the last six weeks we've been able to look at at uh, John 20 and twenty one and, and his accounts of the resurrection. And in this, we see him just making the statement that the resurrection isn't just a story. It isn't just a religious hope that we had. It's a a reality. It's historical. And so part of what we saw in chapter 20 is, again, the the actuality of the resurrection, the, the historicity, the evidence behind it, that we know that it's something that's true. But then we've also seen that it's not just something that we need to know about but if we actually understand the reality of it, it's something that we need to apply to our own lives. And so we're seeing in this people that are disciples of Jesus that that celebrated that it happened, but hadn't really fully applied the meaning of the resurrection to their lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of Peter and how Peter, in the midst of, of his failure, didn't really understand all that the risen Christ meant and how Jesus loves him and restores him. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to John 21, verses 15 through 25. We're going to read the whole passage. It's the the last verses of the gospel. But we're going to spend most of our time really diving into verses 15 through, through 19. But let me begin our time by reading from John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the other disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread amongst the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and that we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege again that we have to come and to be able to spend this time diving into your word. Thank you for the truths that are here. Thank you for the way that your spirit continues to teach me. And I pray that you would now speak through me and in spite of me, Father, that your spirit would co- communicate, not my opinions, but, but somehow through me, the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that you would meet each one of us, that no matter what we walked in here with, what perspective, what attitude, what wounds, that Father, that your spirit would meet us and that you would speak your word to our hearts so that each one of us would hear the message that you have for us this morning. I pray your blessing in Jesus' glorious name, amen. Well, I'll tell you one of the favorite stories that I have. Uh, Some of you that have been here for a while, you probably know this because I mentioned it periodically. But one of my favorite stories is the story Les Miserables. It was originally a book that was written by Victor Hugo in 1862. And um, now it's a a wonderful book, but it's really, really big, kind of hard to read through. So not many people have read the book, but many of us know it more for the musical that was then produced. And then that musical that was then made into a movie in 2012. Now, the main character of the story is a man named John John. and John John, as a young man, was in prison for stealing bread, uh, and then he, you know, tried to escape, and his ex- sentence was extended, and without getting into the whole story, throughout, through the kindness of a priest, he then experienced this incredible spiritual conversion that changed his life, and he dedicated his life to living out the values of, his, of a Christian faith. Now, because he was a former convict though, as he went out and tried to live, no one would give him a second chance. No one would see him beyond what he had done in the past. So he decided to break his parole and to live out the rest of his life under a false identity. However, he always lived in fear of being found out. Now, a big part of the story was that there was a woman who was, uh, worked in a shop and, and she died and he had felt some guilt for that. And, and as he was there when this young woman was dying, the woman told him about his, her daughter, this young girl, Cosette. He promised that he would take her and raise her as his own. And, and that's what he did. And so throughout the rest of the story, he just pours into this, into this little girl, becomes a young woman. But even in the midst of that, he still felt shame over his past. Actually, at the end of the story, he runs away and hides in a monastery so that Cosette will never learn of, let alone be tainted by, the stain of his past as a convicted criminal. And a big part of the tragedy, especially at that very end, is here you see this man who had lived so valiantly, who had lived heroically, who still is driven by his guilt, haunted by his guilt. And here, you know, the, again, the tragedy at this end scene, you have Cosette finds Jean Valjean, and right before his death, he, he says, "Oh, here's my last confession, and he tells tells the story, and he's afraid that even at that point she may reject him. And again, here's a man that, that, that lived this heroic life, that did such great things, but yet in his whole life, he was marred by the sense of, of his guilt. He couldn't ever escape it, and he feared that if he was exposed, that even his own daughter would reject him. Now, it's a great fictional story. It's a beautiful story. But one of the reasons that I think it resonates with us is because it's rooted in some truth. You see, the fact is that there are far too many people that in our lives, and maybe some even here, that likewise, like in a sense, John Valjean, are controlled by shame and guilt from your past. And I know that because as a pastor over 30 plus years, I've talked to far too many people who tell me stories that remind me something of almost the spirit of John Valjean. You know, some have had some failure in their past, or some decision now that they deeply regret. They wish they could go do, and, and maybe they prayed God and prayed to God and asked to God to forgive their sins. But deep down, they really question if He has, and if He has, you know, then He's forgiven them. But they still bear, bear the mark of shame, and it, it's many different things, you know, that they consider shame, shameful and and. You know, maybe it's something that, uh, you know, they've had an affair or they've had an abortion or they've committed some crime in their past or, but they've considered it so shameful that many times people haven't even told family members. They haven't even told their spouse. And part of it is that they're worried that if they do, then people will reject them. And so they try to hide it. They try to bury it. And it's almost like you take a 50-gallon drum of, of you know, of poison and you put it in your backyard and you bury it and you think, well, it's no longer there. I no longer see it but it's still there and it's leaking out and it's polluting the ground around it and causing damage not only to you that live there, but the whole family. And that's the reality of how this works. So I recognize that even as I say this, there are almost certainly people here today that are joining us in person or online, and that's your story. And the fact of the matter is, is is that deep down, you have that shame, you have that guilt. There's something that you can't escape that past or that you have something that you're afraid that if somebody knew that they would reject you. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here today. I, I believe that God brought you here today because God wants you to hear the heart of Jesus Christ. He wants you to hear the heart of Christ speaking to you and your circumstances. Because what we're studying today is Jesus speaking to the heart of Peter, who likewise had been buried by that kind of shame and guilt. You see, he had made great about how he was going to to, uh, stand for Jesus and never deny him. And yet, when the moment of trial came, when Jesus was put there before trial, Peter not only ran away from Jesus, he denied even knowing him. And then after that denial, Jesus was crucified on the cross. And I'm sure that Peter was just burdened by the shame and guilt that was the last thing that had happened between him and Jesus. And and then the resurrection came, and, and there was joy But even in that joy, there was still that bit of shame because part of him would feel that things could never quite be the same after he had failed Jesus so miserably. Now, let's look at this story. And and as we do, we're going to actually go back before John 21 and look at not only Peter's betrayal, but even before that, the hours before the betrayal and seeing we've got to see something of his great promise And in this great promise of how he would never let down Jesus, you see the the danger of pride and of self-confidence, because that's what drove Peter. You see, now, this part of the story is recorded in all of the Gospels, but let me go to Matthew for his account. What it tells us is that right after Jesus had Uh, instituted the Lord's Supper, and he told his disciples, okay, this is my body, which is a symbol of my, or this is the bread, is a symbol of my body. I'm going to be offered on the cross for you. This is the cup, which is a symbol of my blood. I'm going to be offered on the cross for you. And he tells them that. He shares something of the story of the gospel, of, of how he loves them. They then walk out toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus tells them, all of you this evening are going to fail me. And then Peter responds back. Look what he says in verse 33. Peter answered him, though they all fail or fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And so Peter's hearing this, and he says, no, Jesus, you don't understand. They might, they might fall short, but not me. You see, I love you more than they do. I'm more committed to you. I don't know about their commitment, but, but my commitment knows no bounds. I will never fall away. I'm, he's in a sense saying, Jesus, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to prove my love for you. I'm going to perform You see, there's some degree when we think about all our relationships, there's a performance element, even in the best of marriage. And I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to prove. And and the problem is is that we think that that, therefore, is the way that we relate to God. And it's not. That's religion. Religion is, okay, God, I'm going to perform. I'm going to prove that I'm worthy. I'm going to prove how good I am. And I'm going to keep the rules. I'm going to never let you down. But the fact is, relationship with God isn't based on religion. It is not on performance. It is not on goodness. But Peter, at this point, doesn't even get that. You know, he's telling Jesus, I don't know about these other guys, but I have wholehearted devotion. You know, my love for you is perfect. And that's his promise. And Jesus responds to him, making this great statement, saying, Peter, you don't know yourself. This very evening, you're going to deny me three times. Now, let me even ask as you think about this. When Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter said, I'm never going to let you down. He says, you're going you're to deny me. What was Jesus' heart in telling him that? You know, was, was Jesus sitting there saying, oh, Peter, I wish you loved me that much. But I'm disappointed you just don't. He say, I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're so pride, prideful and you're so self-confident. And you don't know yourself. I love you unconditionally, but you don't see the brokenness that I see. And he's telling him this not to, you know, not to say you're going to fail, not because I'm disappointed, but he's saying, I want you to see something about yourself because only then will you understand the true nature of my love for you. See, what we need to realize is that humility is a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And when we don't have that, we have pride and we have self-confidence, but that makes us unaware of our sinfulness and our vulnerability. See, Peter is like, I can do it. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. You're going to fail me this evening. But what you've got to realize is that Jesus doesn't reject him for this because the relationship was never based on performance. It's not based on goodness, on keeping the rules. It's based purely on our acknowledging we can't keep the rules and accepting the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't get this. Even at this point, he's proud of his obedience, he's proud of his performance. He's proud and saying, Hey, I may I let you go? But Jesus, you know, I love you, and therefore you should love me. And there is some degree where even Peter, Peter's Sees Jesus is a teacher, but not fully as a savior because he's his own savior. He doesn't need Jesus to die for him because he can do it. And what Jesus is calling here is saying, Peter, that's a false identity. It's not, you're not a good person. And if you think that, you don't understand the true nature of your own heart. You're not able to see your own weakness, your own sinfulness. And because there's something in your heart that you can't see, you're going to be vulnerable to a fall because you're going to try to go on your own strength and it's not going to be enough. And that's what you see as you go from this great, you know, pride and, and proclamation to a great fall in the humiliation of failure. Because just a few hours later, then Jesus is arrested, and he's dragged off to this trial before the religious leaders of the day. And he's beaten, and, and he's, you know, mocked in the midst of this trial. And while most of the disciples ran away, you know, Peter and John, they actually followed And they got in and they were watching the trial as this was happening. And at one point in time, somebody looks at Peter and says, you know, aren't one of you the disciples? And he said, no, I'm not. And somebody else comes and says, are you one of his followers? No, I'm not. Now, now even in this picture of this in mind, this is all happening in the courtyard, a large courtyard of an outdoor building. And so here, this one side of the courtyard is the trial. And on the other side, you have Peter and a bunch of people standing and watching, they're able to see the trial going on, but you could also look and see the people that are on the other side of that courtyard. And after denying twice, sometime later, we're told that a a servant girl comes to Peter and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And Jesus responds, or Peter responds with profanity. He basically curses with profanity, saying that he doesn't even know Jesus. And at that very moment, the rooster crows. And he's reminded of Jesus' prophecy. And not only that, but as he's reminded, as he hears the rooster crowing, at that very moment, Jesus turns and looks across the courtyard and looks directly at Peter's eyes. Look what it says in Luke about this. Look at how it describes this. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, what a powerful statement. What a powerful and emotional moment. You know, Peter had been making this great boast, and, he, and now he sees Jesus being mocked and beaten, and he's asked by this lowly slave, do you know him? And he denies him, cursing. And at that moment, he knows that he is exposed. Jesus looks at him, and he is fully exposed for his failure. Now, what we're told is that he ran away not only out of, out of guilt, and, but I think out of shame. Now, here's even a question that I think we've got to look at. If you could picture that in your mind, if you could, in a sense, look at that whole scene, and Peter's sitting there denying him, Jesus turns, and he looks at that very moment that the rooster crows, and he looks at Peter. What was in Jesus' eyes? Was Jesus angry? I don't think so. Was he surprised? He was like, I can't believe. It. No, Jesus said this would happen. Is he disappointed? No, to be disappointed, it meant that Jesus would have expected more, but Jesus didn't expect more. He knew Peter's weakness better than Peter knew himself. You see, I believe more than anything else, it was compassion and it was love and it was understanding and it was grace. See, Jesus wasn't surprised. He wasn't disappointed, Peter was disappointed. Peter was disappointed in himself because he's the only one that thought that he was better than that. He's the one that thought that he could perform. And so suddenly he's exposed because he didn't know himself. But Jesus knew him. And when Jesus looked, I think Jesus offered grace and, and forgiveness. But even though it was there in Jesus' eyes, I don't think Peter saw it. Because I think at that moment, Peter hears the rooster crows. He looks at Jesus. And there's such shame that he couldn't stay focused on Jesus' eyes. His eyes go down. And we're told, what? That he runs away and that he, that he, that he you know, weeps in, in, in grief and in sorrow and in guilt because he was so overwhelmed by that, that shame that he couldn't, he couldn't look in Jesus' eyes. And I think that even after the resurrection, he heard that Jesus was raised again and he's like, man, that's great. I gave Jesus. And there's a celebration. But even after that, I think, but can it ever be the same? I think there's a sense that I love to be with Jesus, but I don't want to stay focused on his eyes because, because if I do, my shame's exposed. And what we need to realize is that when we live that way, that shame, there's a corrosive impact of shame. It's, it's like we have this, you know, again, this 50-gallon drum that we bury and, and we think that we don't see it because we want to ignore it, but the fact is, the matter is it's leaking and it's, and it's poisoning, it's corroding. And what we need to realize is when we look at this, it's not just about something that happened in knowing the history and the stories of Jesus. It's not just about Peter. It's God's teaching us about us. And he's teaching us about our shame and how God approaches us and how God speaks to us. Because what you have happening here is that there's something that is between Peter and Jesus. And and in our own lives, we have to ask, is there ever a time that you just look at that and you say, I can't look in the eyes of Jesus. There's something that I pray to ask him, but I don't really trust or I'm hiding from other people. And it may have been something in way in your past. It may have been before you're a follower of Christ or young in the faith. Or It may be something that's going on in your life now. And you're hiding from other people and you're trying to make it look good. But the fact is you don't want to get that close, especially to God, because you don't want to be exposed. And part of you feels like, you know, well, I'm here, but can I ever be accepted? Can I ever be loved? Can it ever be the same? You don't know what I've done. So that's what Peter's dilemma was that he's sitting there, he's so excited about Jesus, he's so thrilled that Jesus is alive, but part of him is is not able to look closely into the eyes of Jesus. And and there's part of Peter that if it were up to Peter, he would have wanted to keep that, because he wouldn't want the pain of being exposed. But yet what you see happening is that Jesus said, okay, I'm not going to let you get away with it. You see Jesus speaking painful words, hard words, because there's a painful nature of the healing grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you, there are a lot of churches in our day that will talk about sin, and they'll say, well, we shouldn't talk about sin. We shouldn't call things that Jesus said, you know, the Bible says are sinful. We shouldn't call it sinful. God loves everybody just the way they are. We don't want to offend people, but that's not what Jesus does here. Others have a view of Jesus that say that, you know, well, what God's love is, Jesus is all loving, and what that means is that is that we should just cover up sin. We should cover up the pain. And, and if we mention someone's wrong in the past, if we talk about it all, well, that's being judgmental. That's heaping guilt on the person. And so, therefore, the loving thing to do is just bury it, cover it, not make a big deal of it, sweep it under the rug. But that's not what Jesus does here. He doesn't forget about it. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He brings it out in the open, and he speaks uncomfortable truths that need to be spoken. Truths that are hard to hear, but that are truths of love. See, as we see Jesus do this, remember that there's no one that has ever loved Peter more than Jesus. This is the ultimate expression of love. But in Peter's mind, this is, doesn't feel like love. This is his most painful and embarrassing memory. And his greatest fear is that it's going to be exposed. His greatest fear is that, you know, that it's going to be exposed. And at that time, it's going to be like, well, I'm going to... I'm going to be rejected. And if he could have gone to Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, just let's, let's ignore this. Let's just, let's just let's pass by. But Jesus doesn't do that. We have to ask, why doesn't he? And if he doesn't do it here with Peter, then, then he's going to treat us the same way. And it's always an expression of his love. See, Because sometimes there are things that are painful and that, are, that we want to hide, and, but we think that hiding it makes it easier, but it might feel like it in the short run, but it doesn't in the long run. I think back, there have been several times that I've gotten a call from a doctor that, that they call me back and we have a, a test and they call me and say, hey, we need to tell you, you know, that, that spot that we've tested, is skin, it's cancer, he's got skin cancer. And so I've gotten these calls several times from doctors. And, you know, that's not what I want to hear. And then they've told me, you know, that sometimes well, you've got to have this cut out, you've got, to have this, you know, you've got to have this treatment, you've got to... And that's never anything that I've wanted to hear. Now, is, am I going to look at that and say, I hate that doctor. He's so judgmental and he's hateful. How dare he tell me this bad news? How bad dare he tell me that I've got to do this treatment, that I've got to get this piece cut off my shoulder? And Am I going to do that? No. You say, of course not. That would be stupid. You know, why? Because we understand that you have a doctor that's speaking a truth, that it's an unpleasant truth. It's one we don't want to hear, but it's a truth that we need to hear because if I don't know it, the fact is my ignorance is going to kill me. Or if he covers it up and he makes it soft and he says, oh, if it's hard, you know, we can avoid this, that that cancer that doesn't seem to be that bad now, it's going to grow and it can kill me. Now, if we understand that when it comes to our physical diseases, why is it that we struggle so much when we come to spiritual diseases? Why is it that we struggle to understand that in the same way that guilt and shame these things that we bury, that we just want to ignore, that they're, they're spiritual cancers. And that if we continue to hide them, the fact of the matter is, we might feel, feel better in the short run, but in the long run, it, it's corrosive, it grows. It has the power to destroy us. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus exposes this, not to wound him, but to heal him. He exposes our shame to heal the wound. Let's go back to John 21. Now, what we've got to see is everything in this whole scene is so intentional. It's so beautiful that, you know, that, again, that he's, you know, last week we talked about there's deja vu, you know, in the scene that last week, for those with us, this is deja vu all over again. This is, uh, you know, this is Jesus literally setting the scene to remind Peter of his betrayal, so if you were to go back to John 18, and we read of the betrayal, we find out that, that, Jesus, that Peter spoke the last words of betrayal right as the sun was rising. He spoke it, the rooster crowed, right at sunrise, right? So then look at John 21, verse 4, and we read that Jesus met them at the beach as sun, the sun was about to rise. Same time of day, Jesus is recreating it. John 18, we read that they were at that courtyard, and in that courtyard, they gathered around a charcoal fire to warm themselves. Now, John 21, verse 9, it says that when the disciples came ashore, Jesus had built a charcoal fire to cook the fish. And then they had breakfast, and they were sitting around this charcoal fire. Now, Jesus is totally recreating it. And not only that, but then when he looks at Peter, he intentionally asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times, reminding of his three betrayals. And Jesus is intentionally going to his most sensitive spot, not to wound him, but to heal him. Now, look at this, and how it gets explicit with this. It's even more explicit. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Now, here's one of the things. I seldom do I, I get into the, the original languages because, you know, usually you read in the English and it tells you everything you need to know. Every once in a while, it doesn't change the meaning, but you'll see it kind of a, another dimension to the meaning. And the words, and this is one of the few times that's the case. Because part of the thing is, is that Greek is way more precise than English. And so, for example, they have multiple words for love. And so we have one word, it kind of covers everything. Greek has multiple words. And in this case, this passage is using two different words. The first word is the word agape. It actually was very, very rare in Greek up until the Christian church. And then it was suddenly became big because it was the word to describe God's love for us. It's unconditional love, total, total commitment, unconditional love, perfect love. The second word is a far more familiar word. Even back then, it was the word phileo, and it's the word that means brotherly love. And we know that from English because we have the city of Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. And so it's a love of commitment, of love of family, a love of, of, of loyalty. It's a strong word, but a much, much less strong than agape. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus asked this question in a way that reminds Peter of his failure, and you see it in the words that he uses. He looks at Jesus, and he said, do you agape me more than these? Peter, do you have this unconditional, total commitment love that you planned on? And you know, when you're there, you said, everyone will betray. I will never let you down. I have total love. Do you really agape me more than these? Who are the, these? The other disciples. Do you remember when you said, they will light me down, I won't, Jesus? Do you really have agape for me more than all these other disciples? And look at Peter's response. He responds back, changing the words. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Not that agape, you know that I love, Lord, you know that I love you, but I'm not going to claim that I have this unconditional love that's greater than everybody else's because you know, yes, you know, you know how much I love you, but you also know where I failed. And so what you see here in his response is it's a yes and a no. Yes, Jesus, I love you, but not, not that way. Yes, you know I love you as much as he, I, know, I, I know how, but, but you also know where I failed you, and I can't make the claim that I once did. I don't love you that way, but I love you as much as I know how. So Jesus then asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time Jesus says, again, you love me, but he takes off more than these. He says, Simon, do you love me? Do you have unconditional love? Not more than everybody else, but do you love me unconditionally the way that you promised? And Jesus and Peter responds back, again, changing the words. Yes, Lord, you know that I, whoops, I went back, um, you know, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you as much as I can, but you know my failures. He gives a proclamation of love, but it's also a proclamation of a shame. So then Jesus asked them a third time in verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Now, here's what I want you to realize. Here's why he was grieved. Peter, Jesus not only asks him a third time, which is a reminder of his three denials, but when he asks them a third time, he also changes the word again. So now Jesus asks him, Peter, do you phileo me? And what he's saying here is the weight of the question is, Peter, do you really even have affection for me? Do you have this brotherly love? And Peter is hurt, not only because he's reminded of his three denials, but he's, quite, he's sensing that Jesus is asking him, Peter, do you love me enough? Do you, really have, do you really have love for me? Do you have a love that's sufficient? And so he's broken by this but I want you to see that this is not a statement that's meant to broken, break Peter. It's meant to restore him because it's only in revealing our failure that God drives us to his grace. It's only in seeing what we don't have do we understand the grace of what God gives us based on, on, on undeserved favor. You see, Peter's brought face-to-face with the thing that he's most afraid of, his own failure, the thing he wanted to hide the most. And Jesus is doing this not to hurt Peter, but to heal him. You know, you look at this, and when you look at all the scenes, you know, the sunrise and the charcoal fire, and ask him three times, it feels like Jesus is putting the knife in Peter, and he's twisting the knife. And there's a sense that he is putting the knife in Peter, and he's driving it deeper, and it hurts. But it's a knife that's a scalpel, not the knife of an enemy. It's a scalpel that's being driven into the wound to bring healing. It's not the knife of an enemy that's in any way driven by wounding. Now, does this knife cause pain? (laughs) It does. It's a pain that Peter deeply wanted to avoid. But it's the pain of a doctor that's going into the wound, the pain of a loving Lord saying, I love you too much to allow you to live with this wound. Peter, I know you want to hide it. I know that you want to run away. But the fact is, I love you too much to be able to live with this wound that's going to infect you, that's going to corrode your life, that's going to impact other people. So I'm going to go at it to the very thing that you loathe the most, the most thing you fear the most, I'm going to do because that's what you need the most. Now, here's, I'm going to ask you this really important question that is really significant to understanding this whole passage. Is when you look at this and we've seen Jesus has repeatedly, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter's hurt. Why? Because he's, he's sensing, Jesus, are you saying that my love is insufficient? This is the question we have to ask. Who in that conversation thought that Peter didn't have a love that was acceptable? Was it Jesus looking at it and Peter and saying, "Peter, do you got, me. do you have this? Can you perform at this level? No, can you perform this level? Can you even perform at this level, Peter? Do you love me enough?" Is that what Jesus is saying? You see, it wasn't Jesus who was questioning the nature of love; it was Peter. Peter's the one that's saying, "Jesus, but I failed you, and it's not enough." And Jesus is saying, "Yes, it's enough." Because my, my relationship isn't based on what you do, it's based on your acknowledgement on your of your weakness and your failure and coming and finding in my grace that I love you enough. It's not how much you do for me, it's not how much you love me, it's understanding how much I love you and my friends, what you've got to realize is that if Jesus is looking at Peter, this one who had betrayed him, the one who had such deep shame, he likewise now speaks to each one of us. And if we've got that deep shame that we're hiding and that we're saying, God, God can you love me that way? Jesus is saying, yes, yeah, you failed me. But if you come to my grace and you say, I love you with as much love as I know how to. See, Jesus had already forgiven Peter. We go back to 17. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, again, his answer isn't the affirmative. It's an admission of guilt saying, you know all things. You know as much as I love you, as much as I know how. You know I have faith, but I don't have enough faith. And, you know, I failed you. And and Jesus said, and that's all I need to know and because he was able to come in grace and, and humility is able to find God's grace because Jesus again wasn't taking out this knife to wound he was taking out this knife to heal and he was then bringing Peter to forgiveness and restoration and not only restoration and redemption and not only saying, now I'm restoring this, I want to take this thing that's causing you to hide your eyes from me, that is causing you to hide from your other brothers, your other disciples, and I want to put it out there so that we can cut it out, we can deal with it, so that you can bring God's grace to it. That once you understand that grace, now I want to look directly in your eyes. I want that kind of intimacy. I want you to know that you are loved in this way. I want you to feel that close to me. I don't only really want to know you to know that. I want you to know now I can use you. Now I can use you. Now I can bless you. In fact, look at again. Look at verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. Every time Jesus comes and says, Peter, do you love me in this way? and Peter says, I know Jesus as much as I know how. And then Jesus doesn't reject him. What does Jesus say each time? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Every time he points out his failure and he says, okay, now be a leader. Go serve other people. Be a leader in the church. Now, why is it? that he would look at Peter and say, okay, Peter, now because you've gone through this, you're more qualified to be a servant. Now you're more qualified to be a pastor. How in the world will we look at even in redemption that God could look at our failure and in any way see our failure as something that qualifies us to be used of God? Why is Peter qualified because of this? You know why? Because for beforehand, he didn't really understand the gospel. And he was, okay, try harder, do harder. And now that he has failed, he understands the gospel. And not only that, but what does he say? Feed my lambs. You notice that? When you think of a lamb, you think of a weak and helpless animal. And he describes, okay, feed the weak and helpless animals. And why is he saying that? Because Peter earlier on said, everybody's going to betray you, but I'm a lion. I'm the one that's going to stand. I'm the one that is strong. And and Jesus said, okay, no, you're not. And now that Peter, now that you know your failure, you're just a lamb, you're a sheep. And your sheep that has been saved by my grace. And now that you know your own failure, now that you understand grace, now you can go share that grace with other people as well. Now you can become an instrument of grace. Now you, can, now you can be a spiritual leader. And you know what happens? Is that when we understand the nature of God's grace, we're able to take even our deepest failures, our deepest wounds, our deepest pains, and we're able to bring it before the grace of God. And God says, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to not only show you grace and healing and that, but I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to use it so that you can then tell your story about how God has grown you through your pain and you can love other people that are going through that kind of pain, that kind of failure, that kind of tragedy. It's not only that you're not disqualified for that. By your grace, I'll use that to qualify you. But my friends, as we look at this, we recognize that this is, again, Jesus standing before Peter And we're reading this beautiful story of Peter's restoration and redemption, but it's ultimately a story of him standing before each one of us today. Because no matter what we've walked in here with today, and whether you have, again, some some deep hidden guilt or shame or something that you're hiding, something that you're hiding from him now, the fact of the matter is, he said, I'm meeting you here today, I brought you here today because I want you to hear my heart that I'm speaking to you, that yes, I'm poking at that wound, and yes, it's painful, but it's a surgeon's knife to bring healing, not to bring harm. Will you let me do it? There may be some that you come in, and you're like, you know, almost, almost like Peter, I'm trying, I'm trying hard, I'm trying to do my best, and, and I want you to understand again, the God, heart of the gospel, what Jesus was teaching Peter, what he's teaching us, is our relationship with God is not based on what we do, it's not based on religion, it's not based on our efforts, our goodness. How are all going to fall short on that? It's based on our acknowledgement of where we fall short. It's admitting our sin, admitting our sinfulness, our weakness, and coming and saying, God, I want a relationship with you, but it's not based on me being good enough and never failing you, but saying, God, here's all my failures. And I ask you to forgive me through the grace of Jesus Christ. I ask you to take my sins and take them upon Jesus on the cross and give me his righteousness. I desperately long for that relationship and all the things that keep me from that, all the things that would keep me from looking into the eyes of Jesus. You see, Jesus takes them on the cross and so that they're no longer there. And so that I think when Peter really understands this, he's able to look at the eyes of Jesus and know that he's loved and valued. He knows he has that relationship. He knows that Jesus says, said, now I can use you. Now go, now go and serve, not because of who you are, because of who I am friends, he seeks to speak that truth into each one of our lives today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what burdens that you have. I don't know the state of your relationship with God. But I believe that there are some that God is speaking here today to, that you came in, and you know that God is poking in a sensitive spot, that he's prying, and you feel a knife. And my friends, it's not a knife to wound. It's the knife to heal. And I hope and pray that this morning, even before you leave, that if you've never really made peace with God, that you would do so. That, uh, you know, be available after the service or this week. Call me. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to be able to see that for those maybe first time come to Christ, for some who have lived with that that burden, the stuff that's buried in your backyard that you've lived with far too long, Jesus said, you know what? I want to dig that up, and I want you to know God's restoration and God's healing and God's uh, redemption through it all. I want you to know that you're loved and valued. But let's get this thing out from between our relationship so I can look in the eye and tell you how you're loved and how I want to use you.